you got a copy of the scriptures, would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be looking at a passage today that you often hear at wedding ceremonies. And I'm going to ruin it for you because it has nothing to do (laughs) about marriage. Um, It does have everything to do with love, and and love is helpful in marriage for sure. So um, it's not going to totally ruin it, but we're going to be looking at the classic love passage. So all you wedding crashers out there, this might be tough for you. So 1 Corinthians 13, you can Google it, look it up. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. Excited as we continue in our new series, our new series called Build Up. Now let me just briefly explain, if you weren't able to be here last week, for the beginning of our series. We live in this time right now when everything's being uh, torn apart, where we are being divided, uh, there's dissolution of, of things that were once whole. Uh, it does seem at times that things are falling apart, and our political culture is, is not helping this. Um, it's polarizing us. We are being forced further and further to one side or the other. In fact, I, I recently watched a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma that talks about how the algorithms of, of social media actually are part of the cause of this uh, further and further divide where the chasm between right and left is wider than ever. It's like a middle school dance. <laughs> People are standing by the walls and um, nervous to come to the middle and speak to one another, talk to one another. No one knows how to do this anymore. Uh, often shame becomes the commodity, uh, the currency that we use in our public discourse. We cancel one another rather than engage and love one another. And so um, this is a problem. And it's not something just new in the last six months. Of course, the pandemic and the civil unrest, all of this has sort of added to this feeling, but it's really just exposing where the cracks already were, and it's just ripping those further apart. So this is not new, okay? But we see it and we feel it now. We can't deny it. This is the water that we swim in. You can't get away from it. And the question is, should the Christian community look different than the world? And I think that it should. Unfortunately, the Christian community can be just as polarized, just as involved in tearing down, deconstructing rather than building up. And so that's why we're calling this sermon series Build Up. Build Up. When things are torn down, torn apart, dividing, what if the gospel of Jesus Christ so infected us that we actually are people that in the midst of this water, we are being built up. And, And last week I talked about Uh, this mental picture that God gave me of what it might look like for us as Christians and the church to be built up. I was at a wedding uh, just a little over a year ago, Mark and Megan Lawrence, part of our community here, and um, it was up in the mountains in the woods with very tall trees, and it was a very windy day. And I just remember during the reception, I was standing outside, and I was just looking up into the sky, and, and at the top of these very tall trees were being blown 20 20 feet in either direction. And if you just looked up, it would look like the whole structure was going to fall down. But then as you let your eyes come down the tree, as you you bring your eye down the tree, the swaying decreases until you get to the base of the tree. And what you realize is there's nothing pulling this tree up. It's so deeply rooted, deeply uh, founded in the soil that it doesn't matter how hard the wind blows, it's not 
going to fall down. And that's an analogy for the Christian life, that if you ground yourself in the right thing, which is Christ, our rock, our solid ground, in the gospel of Jesus and his love, you can actually be built up, let God take you into an atmosphere that is windy and wave, and you can actually be hope in that place while still being unshaken, unswayed, and continue on as you once did. So that's the mental image I want us all to have during this series of, of letting God build us up and building one another up into these tall trees that are right there in the midst of everything that's going on. We don't escape and start our own orchard, okay? We are built up amongst all the trees, and we let God build us to a place that we might be the people that see out over the forest, see it from the trees, that we might be guides in helping people find life through the wind, okay? So that's the image that that we talked about last week, and, and it will be the image that we come back to each and every week in this series we're calling Build Up. Build Up. Now, today we get to talk about how love builds up. Cliché. Cliché. But it's true. The question is, do we understand what love actually is? Um, Let's think about the world according to the Beatles. You guys know that I like old music. (laughs) Maybe it's not that old, but you know the old uh, Beatles song written by John Lennon, Imagine... Uh, kind of eerie, I listened back to it this week, eerie when you think about we're kind of living in the world that John Lennon imagined. He says, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no nations. Imagine there's no religion. And what his conclusion is, is if we could get rid of those things, this notion of heaven, the notion of nationhood, the, uh, the religious organization of the world, that there will be peace. He says, the world will live as one. That's what he asks us to imagine. Now you have to then go to another part of the anthology of the Beatles to see how he thinks we can get there. He says, well, if you don't have these things, uh, a hope of heaven, a nation, a community gathering together, organized religion, all you need is what? Love. All you need is love. Right? We all know it. Sing it. All we need is love. Do, 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 do. All we need is love. I'm trying to get invited into the band culture here. <laughs> that was not bad. I'll have to listen back to it. Check it on the recording. Everybody knows that song. And, 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 he, and they say in that other Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, they say it's easy. It's easy. All you need is love. And, and I believe kind of the thought is, and sort of the thought of that generation, and we're living in sort of the world that was built up by the Beatles, the idea of the world at least, is that if you just repeat it enough times, you start to believe that it's true. So I listened to this song. It had been a long time, but it came to my mind. I don't know why. I listened to it back, and I actually sat there and I counted. In a three-minute and 46-second song, the Beatles say the word love 69 times. If we just say it enough, surely it will work. Now here's the question. Are the Beatles right? Is all we need love and the world will live as one? Well, yes and no. Yes, it's not all you need, but it is the most important thing. We'll see that in the passage today. 
The Apostle Paul will say, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But it's not all you need, but it's very important. We need love. It's the prime ingredient to build up the church in the world. Agree. But it's not all you need. Yes and no. Love is the primary ingredient, but the question is, what in the world does old Johnny boy mean when he says love? I'm not exactly sure, but the Bible gets clear on what love is, and we're going to look at that today, because it is a primary ingredient. It's the greatest of these things for God to build up his church, for God to build up the world and and repair it and restore it, but what do we mean when we say love? So I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, keep your finger there, and just turn back five chapters to chapter 8, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I think we're going to have that on the screen for you guys if you're watching online. And um, he's, he, he's talking about food offered to idols. I won't get into that now. He says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But look at what he says. But love builds up. Love builds up. Seems like... This fits very nicely into our sermon series, Build Up. And this theme of love building up flows throughout this letter to the Corinthians. There's a church in Corinth that's ancient Greece. And Paul is writing this letter to this young church that's trying to figure out how to live as one. How to take the message of Jesus seriously in all parts of their life as a community. And Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13, where he dives even deeper into the way of love. The way of love. This is the the passage you'll hear in, in many a wedding service. Now before I read it to you, I need to, like I said, kind of ruin the context for you. He's not talking about marriage. He's actually talking about the use of different spiritual gifts within the community. And some of the people in the community seem to have been taking the spiritual gift of tongues, which is a spiritual heavenly language that some people could speak in, empowered by the Spirit, in order to speak in a language that they themselves couldn't even understand, but was a language of heaven. And they would speak it. And it was being sort of lifted up as more important or more valuable than the other gifts in the community. And Paul is going to come in here, and this is where he's going to talk about love. You don't hear that often at weddings, <laughs> a, a debrief of the spiritual gift of tongues. Um, it's not quite as easily accessible. But everything that he says about love is important still. But that's the context. So think about this. It's a community in which there's division between the people of God because some people think one particular thing is the most important while, while others think this other thing's important and there's battling and there's infighting and they're being torn apart and what does Paul say? Love is the thing you need to focus on. Not any particular spiritual gift, but love. I think that's a bit important for us today as the church as we think about what is the most important thing for us to focus on. Not that spiritual gifts aren't important, not that understanding the gift of tongues and how to use it in the context of the church body, not how to use other gifts like prophecy, and we'll get into that later. We'll come back to chapter 14 and talk more about this specific issue. 
But if we focus on love, we just might have a chance to be built up by God into a bright, shining tower for the world to see and to turn to God and to come to know Jesus as Savior and experience life and hope and faith and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's read it now with the context in mind of this infighting within the church, Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I become a martyr for the church of God, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. Oh, you see why people read that at weddings. It's so good. What a, what a beautiful, amen, thank you, God, for using the Apostle Paul to pen those words that we today might sit in that. And the question comes, you know, I could sit here and I could parse each and every one of those Greek terms. What does patience mean? What does bearing all things mean? It's pretty clear. We are terrible at all of these things. <laughs> That's all you need to know. All you need to know is that you don't do these very well naturally. And our world doesn't do them very well naturally. So I don't even need to. Just read it back. Somebody translated this because that's what the words most closely mean. Okay? So you can look at other translations and see, well, what does patience mean? Maybe there's another word that helps us kind of approximate. The bottom line is these things are incredibly hard to do in our own power. And that's why our world and in the church, we are, we're novices. We're novices. So how do we get here? How do we love like this? How do we bear all things? How do we be patient? How do we be kind? How do we not be irritable and resentful? How do we not love it when somebody else that we disagree with falls or fails or sins? How do we do that? Are we just supposed to try harder? See, see, I think sometimes we read this and we say, I just got to white knuckle it. I got to try harder. 
I've got to just be better at loving people. And, and for a little while we might do it. Ah, I've got to be more patient. Oh, I hear this. I've got to be more patient. Ah, I'm just going to be more patient. Oh, ah, I've got to bear more of the crap of the world and I'll take it on myself and I'll be that person in my family and I'll just be better than most. I'm going to stop envying. I'm just going to not do it. I'm just going to try my hardest. I'm not going to do it. Here's the idea. That's not going to work. It, it might work for like 20 minutes. <laughs> so if like you only hang out with church people for like 20 minutes a year, you'll do fine at this. You could like check the box. I loved well. If you only go to like 30 minutes of a family reunion every year, you might be able to do it. But if you actually want to be in community with people, you can't do this on your own. You will fall short. So what do we do? Do we just keep singing it and more and more and repeat it and just tell ourselves all we need is love? Are we doing that? No. Here's what we need to do. We need to understand what the word love actually means that Paul uses here. Because in the Greek language, there's four words for love. You know, you got to give the Beatles a break here. They only have the English language. There's only one word for love. In Greek, there's four words for love. There's four words for love, and the word that Paul uses here is the word agape. This is agape love that he's calling us to, to, to live into. Jesus said this in John 13, 34. He said this, A new commandment I give to you, just as I have loved agape, you, you also are to love agape one another. C.S. Lewis, uh, I'm going to jam on C.S. Lewis here for a sec. He has a great book. It's actually a series of essays called um, The Four Loves, in which he breaks down each of the Greek words for love. And if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, um, he's, he's a great uh, modern thinker. Uh, he lived at the beginning of the 20th century. And he just, God really gifted him to be able to explain things in terms that we can understand. And actually, on, on our website, we have a tab called resources. Guess what's on that tab? Resources. <laughs> It'll be helpful for you. And we have a link to C.S. Lewis doodles. You know what a doodle is? Where somebody takes a narrated voice and draws while the narrated voice is going. And actually, C.S. Lewis's Four Loves is narrated by C.S. Lewis, and it's doodled, and it's some of the best time that you'll ever spend. It'll take you two hours. Commit two hours. You can watch all four videos, one on each of the loves, it will help you to understand this more than I'll be able to in this moment. So I highly, highly recommend uh, watching that. But the four loves that we have in Greek are one, storgi. That's like affection that a mother has for his child or a dog owner has for his dog. It's, it's like this familial love. It's like it's sort of that, uh, that thing that, you, that all of us feel towards our family. Whether we have a good or bad family, it's just sort of part of life. This, it's, uh, the best translation might be affection, just sort of a familial affection. The second word is philia, which is friendship. So you get Philadelphia, brotherly love. This is where it comes from. So this is the, the love that you have for a, a friend. Then you have eros, which is romantic love. This would be the love that you have uh, for your partner, your spouse, whoever um, you are having a romantic relationship with. And then finally, this fourth is agape. 
This is the word that's always used when it talks about the way Jesus loves us and, and the way God loves us. So this, the best translation would be God's love. So we have affection, friendship, romantic, and God's love. And this is the term that, that Paul uses over and over again in 1 Corinthians 13, God's love. Love one another with God's love. This is what God's love is like. So here's the thing. All the other three are what we call natural loves. Only agape love is supernatural love. So I want to try to explain to you how these work together. And if I don't make any sense, just go <laughs> to Sedaris Church Resources, C.S. Lewis Doodles, and watch, watch, the, watch, it, watch it multiple times. Some of the best um, stuff that I've, I've ever uh, read myself. So agape, this is God's love. That God first loved us. And, and, and what do we have to understand about this? God is love. So God is love, and anytime he acts towards us, that is agape love. And the, and the key here to understanding the difference between this love and the other natural loves is agape love because it's rooted in the character of who God is. And because God is a God who has no need, agape love is love without need. It is love that's utterly devoid of need. So think about creation now for a second. And this is why it's important to think about creation. Think about God and think about, have you ever thought, why did he create? Was it that he needed something that he lacked in himself and so he created that he might get it? That is not why God created. God created out of a uh, completely devoid of need. He lacked nothing. He had everything that he needed in Father, Son, and Spirit, in the Holy Trinity, he did not need community. He did not need any of this physical creation. He created, that is his agape love, meaning that God desired to give himself away. He had no need. He just chose to give. That's utterly different than all the natural loves. Because you see, in all of the natural loves, it's a need that we are fulfilling. Now, I'm not saying the natural loves are wrong, okay? Natural love is like waking up in the morning and, and, and needing breakfast. It's just we were created to, to need love, so it's not necessarily wrong. But we'll see in just a second how agape love might transform and convert all of the natural loves into agape love. But think about the natural loves. Each of the natural loves has some type of need. So it's either our, our need for the beloved. So I need a beloved. I have this deep down need, and so then I connect myself to someone in one of these other three loves because I need a beloved. That is someone to love me. Or it's a desire or a need to be loved. You see that? So I either need the thing, the beloved, or the desire to be loved, or it's a need or a delight in being loved. You see, so however these things come to be, there's some need attached to them. So, so think about a friend. You choose a friend because you, need, you have a need. Now that's how friendship usually starts. Now friendship can transform into agape love, which is to say that that need is taken away but you still love them and give yourself to them in friendship. But it usually starts out of a need. 
This kind of love is not love itself. Again, it's not wrong, but it is not agape love. Because agape love has no need. Instead, agape love forsakes something else that is good in order to give away its own love. Jesus said to his disciples, do you remember this? Jesus said, this is a hard saying. Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you will hate your father and your mother and follow me. That's a hard saying. Now, what does he mean by hate? He doesn't mean have contempt. He doesn't mean to dislike. What he means here, the Greek word for hate is to set aside, to discount, in order that you might follow Jesus. Why do I bring this up? Agape love always sets aside a good love in order to give greater love. That's how you know you've tapped into agape love. That you are willing to forsake or set aside or discount something good in your life so that you might give yourself away for another. This is exactly what God did, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us, the message, the good news of Christianity is this, that God, though he had everything he needed, Though he had perfect relationship with the Son and the Spirit, one God and three persons, that he did not count those things as more than his love for you. So what did God do? He risked it it all and entered purposefully into pain so that you might receive something from him. So God, in sending his Son, who is Jesus, he, force, he forsook that which he already had, even though he was without need or necessity. He didn't need to do that to get something he didn't already have, but he did it for you, for me, for us. He gave, not out of need, but out of love for those of us who were still sinners in rebellion against God. Do you see this? Do you see what God did? The Son, the Spirit, the perfect thing that they had going, Jesus said, out of love for us, who had yet to love him, who had yet to recognize him, who were actually denying him and defaming him and lying about him, he chose to send his son out of what? Love. I mean, I mean this is as fundamental as it gets. If you don't understand that God didn't somehow need you because he was incomplete, you won't understand his grace. He just chose to give of himself. So this is a bit contrary to, to Johnny Lennon and the boys, right? It's, it's not about learning to stop desiring certain things, like the hope of heaven, which is to be with God. It's not about stopping to desire that. It's not about stopping... Um, to, to desire a common community with common beliefs and, and, and a common purpose and goal. It's not about stopping desiring that. It's not, it's not about getting rid of religion and stopping, desi- stopping to desire a relationship with the transcendent and with God himself. That's not what's going to bring peace. 
The key is learning to love like God loves. That's the key. That's agape. So how do you access it? How do I access agape love? This kind of love that builds up. Can we just choose to turn the dial? Is it like all four of these loves are on a dial and we just need to crank it? I said, today I think I'll choose agape. No. Agape love can't be bought, can't be white-knuckled. It can't be just chosen. Agape love must be received. You can't manufacture it. The only way to get agape love is by what I call this double receiving, which is to say we receive God's love, agape, for us in creation and on the cross. When we see creation and we see the cross and that God chose not out of necessity to give of himself to us, we receive that as true. We take hold of that in our heart. That is the first receiving. The second receiving is related, but we receive God's gift of love itself. So God acts towards us with love, and then by his spirit, he gives us agape love that we might share it with others. But you see, both of these are an act of receiving, not of manufacturing. To the extent that we receive and apply these gifts, all other loves in our life can be transformed. See, you don't have to eradicate brotherly love, familial love, romantic love. You don't eradicate those. Those loves actually can be transformed into something better. In fact, God gives, them, gives us those before many of us experience agape love so that we might have these little glimpses of what love might be. So we can experience it just a little bit. A little bit of, of what it means to be God's love. A mother. A mother experiences that with their child. Just a glimpse. Usually not in full because if you have kids, you know, it's not till they go to bed at night that agape love comes out. Okay, so like when they're awake... Your love, your natural love for them is diminishing all day, all day, all day. Then they fall asleep, and then agape love springs up, and you're like, I can't wait for them to wake up. I love them so much, and then they wake up, and then it starts to diminish through the day. Okay, so that's how parenting works. I got two boys. Maybe it's different with girls. I don't know. Um, So you experience, they're like tuning forks. So if you've experienced really good familial affection or even affection for a pet that you have, uh, if you've experienced just a, uh, some really good parts, that's actually like a tuning fork of God saying, that's what my love's like. But it's, you can't sustain it without me. But you can, you can feel it just a little bit. And actually, if you tap into him and receive the gospel of grace for yourself, the forgiveness of your sins bought by Christ on the cross, sealed by his resurrection, if you receive that for yourself and then, and then God gives you by his spirit agape love, you can actually transform all these loves. Over your life, it takes a life, but they can begin to look more and more like agape love. The way you love your children can look more and more like agape love. The way you love your spouse can look more and more like agape love. The way you love your friends can look more and more like agape love if you let the agape love of Christ dominate your life. But only when you surrender control. Because agape love is God, it's for God, and it's from God. And all other loves must take second place. And when you do, you can tap into this kind of love that can bring peace and joy 
and resurrection to the world. So with that in mind, let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm just going to insert, okay, agape into to each and every time it says love. Just let, let, let the Spirit of God convict your heart and your soul. Are you tapping into God's agape love? Are you beginning each and every interaction that you have thinking about how God first loved you? Or are you trying to white-knuckle it? Let's read it again. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to, to, to remove mountains, but have not agape, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned at the stake, but I have not agape, I gain nothing. Agape is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never ends because God never ends. All of the loves end, but God does not end. And if your love is not rooted in God, then you cannot say love never ends. But if it's rooted in God, the one who is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, then agape never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but, but then face to face with agape himself, we will see. Now in part, I know, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known by God. So now, faith, that's important. Hope, really important. Love, all of these remain. But the greatest of these is agape. The greatest of these is agape. There is no possible way to love like this without the double gifting of God. To love like this, whether it's your family or your friends or your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, fellow Christians, it's utterly impossible unless agape love, the love of God, has victory in your soul and begins to transform every part of you so that your natural loves become subservient to God's love. So what can I do now? All you got to do is read the very next three words. What's it say? Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. That's actually two words. Pursue love. <laughs> what does that mean? Pursue love. I think actually a better translation might be pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. No matter how many times you listen to the song, all you need is love, it won't get you any closer to loving like chapter 13. Unless you are closer to Jesus, you will not experience the love necessary for chapter 13 love. Maybe every time you hear a song like that, all you need is love. Just in your mind, switch it real quick. All you need is Jesus. It might be the only way that you get over, because you hear that word so often. All you need is Jesus. Just switch it in your head. I'm also listening to Burt Bacharach this week. Everybody knows Burt Bacharach. 
What's he say? He says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. What if we just said, what the world needs now is love, agape love. And what if we gave it to them? What if we told them about it? What if we introduced them to the source instead of keeping it to ourselves? What the world needs now is love, agape love. All the other loves are good, but they will eventually fail us. What the world needs now is love, agape love. Okay, that'll preach. Let me give you some practicalities because you're asking yourself, Dave, just sounds a little bit more like a fancy song. What can you actually do to love one another like God loves you? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to start loving God when you don't need something from Him. See what I'm saying? Man, if I'm just honest with myself, I usually talk to God when I need something from Him. That's not agape love. I usually go to church when I feel like my life's falling apart and I need something from God. What if you did all those things when you didn't need? What if you just wanted to spend time with God when you didn't need something from Him? You just wanted to talk to Him, tell Him about your day. Practice a love like this in your relationship with God. Practice reading your Bible when you're not looking for an answer to a problem. Practice praying when you don't need something right away. Come to church and worship the grace and goodness and mercy of God even when you don't feel like the rest of your life's falling apart or you just lost some other love. Do it all the time. Agape love God himself. The second thing, love one another when you don't need something from, from someone else. I also struggle with this. I apologize that most of the time I call all y'all, it's because I need something from you. And I apologize. Again, it's not wrong to need something, but you know what? Call somebody when you don't need something from them. Text them that you're thinking about them, that you love them. When they come to your mind, tell them, man, i just thinking about how sweet that new haircut was. Do something for someone when you don't need that. That's what a good friend does. That's what a good brother or sister in Christ does. That's agape love. Think about this in the context of a cohort. Cohorts are medium-sized communities. They're starting back up now. If you want to get signed up, you can do that on the website. Think about a small group, a community group, what we call cohorts, gathering together weekly with a group of about 10 to 15 people. Think about if you went to that group, not because you needed something from the group, but because you thought, man, there might be somebody there that needs something from me. They might need my presence. They might need my wisdom. They might need how I connected with God this week. I don't really want to go, but I'm going to go not because I need something, but because I love someone. Imagine if we did cohort like that. Imagine if we did family like that. Imagine if we did friendship like that. And I already said it. Gather with the saints on a Sunday morning, not because you need a pick-me-up, not because you're feeling unloved in other areas, but because you desperately love the saints, that's brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to be with them, not because you need to be with them, because you like to be with them, and you give up something in order to be here. You give up something that's otherwise good. You forsake something else that's good in order to be with the saints and love them. That's what Paul's saying. That's love, agape love. Not just when this is the best thing you got, the best option you have, but when, when there's other options that are really good and you choose to be here. Think about that. Now, now I'm going to get real prophetic on you real quick. This even applies to Christian charity or helping the poor or the oppressed or the sick or the hurting. 
you need to be really honest with yourself is the reason that you're giving away is because you need something. You need a sense of purpose or you need a sense of meaning or you need that feeling that you get when you help somebody that makes you feel important. Perhaps it's, a, it's, a, it's a vanity or some strange kind of pity. You need to be honest with yourself and try the best that you can to, to practice charity as Christ practiced charity, not because you need something for yourself, but out of true love for your neighbor. Y'all, this is tough. This is tough love. This is hard. And you can't do it unless you tap into the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for you. Finally, think about Alpha. Guess what? You don't need to invite anybody to Alpha. You don't need to share the gospel with anybody. You've already got the gospel. You don't need to do that. In fact, it's quite risky and scary, and you could lose something by sharing the gospel or inviting somebody to Alpha. But you know what? If agape love reigns in your heart, you just might make that invitation or push a little bit harder because you love that person, not because you need something, but because you love them and you want them to know agape love. So whoever that person that comes to mind when you think about this, that you're like, man, that could be risky or scary. It could be a coworker, a family member, a friend, a roommate. Maybe you invite them. Maybe you share the gospel with them on your own. But agape love forsakes a good thing in order that a greater thing might be had, the love of God. I'll finish here. C.S. Lewis in his four loves Near the end of his fourth talk, he says this. I think those are drawing near to heaven who in this life find that they need men less, fellow human beings, that they need men less and love men more and delight more in being loved without being needed. For For where agape is, there in some degree is heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we know not why you love us. It makes no earthly sense to us. You do not need anything from us. You had no necessity to reach out your hand and to give to us again and again. And you give and you give and you give, not because you have to, not because you need us, but because you love us, God. I just pray for my friends now that as they think about their own life with God, that they would be disillusioned, that they would. They would, that you would remove from them any false notion that, that you somehow need them, that you somehow, that they ha- somehow have something that you need. God, that is, that is not what you teach us. You teach us that you need nothing from us, but yet you want to be with us. God, help us to receive that grace. Help that grace to be the reason that we pursue you, the reason that we worship you, The reason that we love one another is because we understand that you loved us long before we ever loved you. May that be so true in our hearts. May that be so true in our church that agape love would fill this place, build us up, make us tall towers of God's glory and grace only because we are feeding upon your agape love in our life. Give us that right now through this song. In Jesus' name, amen.